Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Raiders is a team that we don't care for. Something. Something. Bravo. Lord Lattimore Volk. Jess Place. And Tim Lynch. Yes, my master. Get involved in the conversation at MileHighReport.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Something Something Broncos. I am Jess Place. This is a special edition of Something Something Broncos, honoring the life and legacy of Denver Broncos Hall of Fame running back Floyd Little. Back in May of 2012, uh, I had the opportunity to interview Floyd Little for Mile High Report. At the time, I recorded the interview just so I could transcribe it later for an article. And so this is a terrific opportunity for us to use that interview to pay tribute to the great running back Floyd Little. A lot of people don't uh, know this, but uh, the introduction to our show, uh, you hear a gentleman say, the Raiders is a team that we don't care for. That is Floyd Little from that interview. My uh, co-hosts, Lori and Tim, were a little surprised to hear that. They didn't know, and I just never mentioned it. So now you know that in the intro to Something Something Broncos, it's Floyd Little saying, the Raiders is a team we don't care for. And it's the truth. Here's to you, Floyd. Mr. Little? Jeff, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there. It's a good day today. It's always a good day. Oh, good, good. Well, we appreciate you doing this interview with the Mile High Report. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, um, I'd like to just jump right in. I've, I've prepared a bunch of uh, questions here. Minutia of your time when you first got to Denver, kind of progressing through um, your Hall of Fame career, and then some, some thoughts on the Hall of Fame and uh, uh, the current state of the Broncos. 
Well, taking me back to uh, to when you were drafted by Denver, what were your expectations for your career, knowing uh, you know very little about the Broncos? Well, I thought I would be going to the Super Bowl the same year. I thought we'd be going to the Super Bowl when I got there. You know that you know that didn't happen, but but yeah, I, you know I didn't know where Denver was when I got drafted. I was drafted, you know, sixth pick I think in the first round, and and when I when I when I found out it was Denver, I said, "Where is Denver?" I had no idea where Denver was. Being on the East Coast, being a Browns fan, a, 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 a Giant fan, and now I'm I'm in the Midwest someplace in Denver. I didn't know where it was. I had to go to the map to find where it was. But I enjoyed it. When I first went out to visit, it was a clear day. It was in April. The, the mountains was unbelievable. The sky was clear. It was, it was one of the greatest days that I've ever had, uh, uh, leaving from the West Coast, East Coast and going to Denver. I really enjoyed Denver. I fell in love with Denver the first day I got there. <laughs> I, I'm personally from Denver, so I agree with you <laughs> on all that. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, there's been much written about how the Broncos uh, started to shed their rinky-dink reputation to become a serious franchise when they drafted you and, and brought Lou Saban on board. Uh, what are your recollections of that transition? Well, I think they stepped up. It was, a, it was a team that had not won a lot of games. It was one of the ones that were the least favorite in the AFL, and it was a team that lost quite a few. But they had a number of good players, and Lionel Taylor and Goose Gosselin and a few other players like that, but they didn't win a lot of football games and and they played in Old Bear Stadium and they had to really elevate themselves to a better position to, to be a part of the National Football League because that was the year of the merger and a part of the merger the the teams had to get a, a larger a larger facility which meaning that they had to go out and remodel Bear Stadium and I was a part of that going out you know, soliciting people to support the new stadium and it became Mile High Stadium and it became a franchise that really, really hit the top of franchises, and uh, we had fifty thousand plus people in the stands, and there's more fans than most stadiums around the country. So it began its journey as a great franchise, and it's become one of the best franchises in the National Football League. But you talked about the stadium uh, and the the renovation. Uh, actually, I guess there were two renovations that took place uh, while you were there. One when you first got there, and then one uh, there kind of towards the end of your career. Well, they they did a new stadium. They didn't uh, renovate that one. They tore that one down and built in Vesco Field. Right, right. Well, I guess in, in 1968 they did a they did a, a renovation, a, a second expansion from. From yes, the original yes, Bears Stadium and renamed it, like you said. And then in 1974, yes. I guess that that was the bond issue that they uh, had you coming out for. Um, exactly. And and so what what was your uh, what was your view of the stadium uh, change during those uh, transitions? I mean, was it were there any you know um, construction related growing pains that affected the players or anything like that? No, it didn't affect us. We were looking at expanding our stadium, and we should. I mean, we had to be in compliance with uh, what. The, the rules were at that time, and we needed more more seats because we had more fans. We had people we had a seventeen thousand waiting list. Yeah, we had people just wanting to come to the game, but there was no opportunity. I mean, our our teams were getting better. We we were winning here and there. We were beating some big teams. We beat teams like the Vikings in our stadiums. We beat Forty Niners. We were winning games, but we weren't winning a lot of games. But we were winning big games and. Our team was developing and getting better, so we needed a, a bigger uh, capacity, uh, uh, seating capacity, and the, our, our expansion continued to grow, and it, 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 it still continues to grow. And I just enjoy what 
Denver is done with the franchise, and it's one of the top five, ten franchises in the National Football League. Did you did you have any inclination that that might be the case when you showed up in Denver? No, I did not. But you know, I getting all the people out, going door to door, going around on these caravans. I remember with Sam Bertigliano and uh, Sam Jones, Stan Jones, and all of us would go to either uh, Wyoming or or Idaho or New Mexico or you know, listening uh, fans to come up and continue to support us. Yeah, any particular um, interesting stories on any of those caravans? Like any, you know, like long bus trips or any <laughs> anything that uh, well, kind no, of sticks no, with no. you? No, we didn't take any buses. We had a car. I mean, we I'd drive with Sam Tigliano or, or Dick McPherson or or or, or uh, Hunter Ennis or or one of those assistant coaches, and we'd go to different communities and, and talk about who we were and 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 what we would expect, and uh, we asked for their support, and we got a lot of support, especially from uh, South Dakota. I mean, we up there a couple of times, Spearfish, South Dakota, and we created a, a need for fans from up in that area and Wyoming we always had good fans in Wyoming and, and we had different functions and, and I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them all meeting fans from fans get a chance to meet me. Someone said that uh, the seeds of uh, of Mile High Magic were sown uh, when the Broncos drafted you. Do you believe in Mile High Magic? Oh of course. What does uh, it uh, mean to you? I, I just you know things start you know getting better. I mean, we start getting players. Uh, it was not like it was when we first got there. Where I had 26 rookies that I started with. We played oh. 26 rookies my first year. I was the captain of the team. How often do you get a rookie as a captain? I mean, we had more rookies that voted for me than more veterans voting for veterans. So you no, know, I didn't know that it would be what it, it became. But you know, it it it's I liked about the fans was they was always there when to lose. I mean, when we, before the airport uh, security, we had two fans at the airport waiting for us when we lost to Kansas City or, or or San Diego or anybody. I mean, we had so many fans. So we had a 12th man before us, uh, the 12th man that's known. I mean, we, we had a group of fans in Denver. That was the greatest country. As I've gone through all of these leagues and all of these teams as a as a, a an announcer for NBC, there was no better fan than Denver Denver fan. Um, in an interview with uh, Marlon Briscoe, uh, I, I conducted uh, last year, uh, I asked him to tell me a story about uh, Lou Saban. He told me about the Buffalo game where Saban cut you after a fumble <laughs> while trying to run out the clock. Tell me about your interaction with Saban following your miraculous game-winning touchdown. <laughs> He's right. That's one of the, the all-time great great games. Because he, he, he didn't want to lose to Buffalo, being the coach of Buffalo more right. than once. And, you know, he's playing Buffalo, and he knows all the players, the Sames, the Butch Birds, the Booker Edgerson, all these great defensive players that we finally got a chance to play, play in Denver with. Uh, uh, he says, "Hey, we gonna beat these guys, and uh, all I need for you to do is is, is go sideline to sidelines, don't go out of bounds, and don't fumble the ball." Well, I I was going sideline to sidelines and not trying to make any yards, and I tripped over my own foot, and the ball just fell out. I mean, nobody tackled me; the ball just fell out. And I remember uh, down on the ground, and and Butch Bird picked up the ball, and he started heading the, the the wrong way, and then I got up off the ground and I ran and caught him, and they. You know, with 20 seconds or so left, they kicked the field goal, and uh, we were down. 
And that's when he fired me. He says, I want you out of here. I want you gone. And I, I got so mad, I started to the south stands to leave. And then I changed my mind in the end zone and came back in the huddle. And Fran Lynch had replaced me. And I said, Fran, you got to go. And uh, Lou was telling him to stay. And I was telling Fran to go. And then the referee from me, you guys got 12 men. If you don't get out, I'm going to throw a flag. I said, I don't care how many flags you got, but I'm going to stay. And you're going to keep calling, throwing flags and tell me it's dark. I don't care. I'm not leaving. <laughs> This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. He kicked the field goal. Time ran five seconds ago. He kicked the field goal. We won the game and on the way to leave because I had been fired. Lou called you up and said? He called me over to the side when I was walking off the field. Yep. He says, I'm going to give you one more week. <laughs> and, and, so, and turned out to be a little bit longer than a week. It turned out to be my whole career. That's great. That is a great story. Yeah, it is. It's a true story. He gave me. He gave me another. He gave me another opportunity, and I played my whole career there and uh, captain the team the whole time I was there. You know, it, it's it's funny. I, in researching uh, for this interview, I, I pulled out a, uh, a a draft guide I had from. Or, or a season preview guide from 1969 um, that I picked up at a flea market, and they talk about that game in that yeah. draft guide. It, 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 I mean, at the time, that was that was like the biggest game in Bronco history. Well, yeah, I mean, when you have the commotion that went on when I'm being fired and, and, and walking off the field in the middle of the field, walking slow, and kind of the time is ticking, and everybody's pushing me off the field, telling me to get off so they can start the game, and and I finally decided I ain't going. Well, thank, thank goodness you didn't. <laughs> thank yeah, goodness exactly. you didn't. <laughs> and Lou and, and I became very close after that. I mean, he did oh, what he had good. to do, and I did what I had to do, and we were, we were friends until we lost him about three years ago. Yeah. Um, well, you talk about the, uh, about your relationship with Saban. I, you know, I know he left mid-season. Um, was there, I mean, did you have any feelings about him leaving halfway through the season? I I was sad. I was sad. I understood what he he was trying to do. We were playing against a Super Bowl team, uh, Miami Dolphins. We were a young team that he felt that if we just played them to a tie, it would give us a lot of of, uh, momentum. It would give us a lot of confidence as a young team that's beating a team that's a Super Bowl team. And we can hold them to uh, 10 points and we can get 10 points. That could launch us because it was early in the season, I mean, or midway in the season, and we were a struggling franchise. And, mm-hmm. and Lou thought that, and it was his thinking that, hey, I'm not going to try and beat these guys. If I can get my team 
just to tidy this team. It would do so much for my football team. So, and, you know, in retrospect, when you look at it, you should have you should have tried to beat him rather than try to tie him. And, and you know, the fans got mad. They brought half loaves of bread. They threw yeah. him down at him. It was horrible. It was a horrible sight. And for for his kids to be harassed, his wife to be harassed, and, and he did the only thing he had to do, and that was to resign. Right. And uh, I hate seeing him go because I like him. He was a former player, and and uh, he understood us as players. He he fired us every day, and he challenged us every day to be better players. And and uh, I mean, he had a he coached for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. So, but he uh, he uh, he did what he had to do. But I tell you what, John Rawson was a guy who knew talent better than anybody I've ever seen. When John came in, he brought he put the team together that went to the Super Bowl. I mean, Red Miller got the credit for it, but it was it was John Rawson's draft choices mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. that he brought in. And I've seen uh, I've seen on on old. Uh on old video, uh, on old film, I guess. Uh, John Ralston would get in the huddle with you guys. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> That's what he did. He get in it, pat you on the back, and inspired you. And, and he was a good, a big Dale Carnegie guy. Yeah. So he used to always give us a Dale Carnegie quote. I remember one meeting he had, and uh, John Ralston was a defensive back, and coach would say, uh, "This is a game, guys. Anything that ends in B-A-L-L is a game. Let's not forget about that. This is a game." And if it ends in B-A-L-L, it's a game. And then John Rouser raised his hand and said, what about eyeball and meatball, coach? And <laughs> everybody just died laughing. I mean, that really killed that motivating message because here's a guy thinking about what ends in B-A-L-L, that's not a game. And, oh, eyeball. Oh, what about meatball? <laughs> oh, you know, so it, it, that's what we all cracked up. So it really poured a lot of water on John Rawson's fire that day, so. But yeah, he was a good guy. I like John. I like John. I talked to John just recently. You know, he's he's still living in California, still working for Southern uh, California State, Cal State, in some capacity. But he's been around. I see him at the Heisman dinners from time to time. Oh, not the Heisman dinner, but the Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame. I see him at those dinners. So yeah. he still gets around. He's in his eighties. He he doesn't drive anymore. So. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad that he's still getting along. He has not been well since he lost his wife Pat, Patty. So he's been, it's been, it's been tough for John Ross. But I've gotten a chance to to know John. I got the chance to know uh, uh, Red Miller, and got a chance to know Luce Haven, and they were all great people. Great people. What about uh, Jerry Smith? Was there anything that happened under his stewardship, uh, his brief stewardship of the team? Jerry Smith only had two games, I think. I think he took over two games, two or three games, that I recall. But Jerry was a good guy. I like Jerry. Jerry was a, a, a interim head coach for a minute, mm-hmm. and he came on. And uh didn't get to know him that well uh, because our, our tenure was short because they brought John Ralston in shortly after he left. Mm-hmm. But Jerry picked up, picked up the slack and – I don't know how many games we won under him, but uh, yeah, I like Jerry Smith. Jerry was a good guy. I, he's a good guy. Uh, we don't think about him being our head coach because he was an interim coach for a very short period of time, but he was our head coach, and we need to give him that credit. Let me just ask you about, uh, I guess, the current the, the, the AFC West. Uh, what uh, what team uh, in the AFC West uh, did you hate the most, and what do you think of that rivalry and how it's how it's grown over the years? Well, it's still the same. It's, it's been the Oakland Raiders. We hate those son of a guns, and we still hate them. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and when Shanahan came over after being fired 
by the Raiders and, and Al Davis not paying him, it made it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so Al Davis had a lawsuit against the Raiders, and we hated the Raiders anyhow, so it was easy for us to continue to hate them. And today, today we still hate them. And you, you ask me why anymore? I don't know. But the Raiders is a team that we don't care for. <laughs> and we want to wish them all the bad luck in the world. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, um, I do appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to me. I, I got to tell you, you're you're one of my personal favorite Broncos of all time. I, uh, in my bedroom, I have uh, one of your autographed jerseys that I picked up in Las Vegas at an autograph store. So I just wow. want you to know, like, I really appreciate what you've done for the Broncos, and uh, it, this is a real honor for me to be able to interview you. And I, and I thank you for your well, time. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right, Mr. Little, you have an excellent evening. All right, you too. All right, thank you. You've been listening to Something Something Broncos, a feature of MileHighReport.com with Lori Lattimore-Volk, Jess Place, and Tim Lynch. Get involved in the conversation at MileHighReport.com. The Raiders is a team that we don't care for.